morning. Let God arise. Please be seated. <laughs> Great song, Will. Hey, glad to have you with us today. Glad that you are here in person. If you're joining us online, we are glad that you're with us uh, virtually as well. Next Sunday, it is already September. September is like next Sunday, you know, we're going to be in September. Um, I noticed that Angie, our children's minister, is using a September to Remember theme for September. And I want to borrow her theme for September. We want to make September a month to remember to wear a name tag and to call each other by name. So starting next week, for the month of September, we want everyone to wear a name tag. You say, well, I don't have a name tag. No worries. There are going to be name tags here for you next Sunday. So when you come in next Sunday, we want everyone to put a name tag on. We want everyone to wear it. We want everyone to call each other by name. There's no sweeter sound than the sound of your own name. Everybody calls me Tim. I'm glad, you know. Sounds good. So plan on that for the month of September. It has been a couple months since I have uh, quoted one of my very favorite theologians. So this morning, I want to start my lesson with some wisdom from Calvin and Hobbes. <laughs> Calvin says, here I am, happy and content, but not euphoric. And after thinking about that, he says, so now I'm no longer content. I'm unhappy. My day is ruined. And then he decides... I need to stop thinking while I'm ahead. <laughs> Have you ever noticed how difficult it is to remain content? I mean, we live in a time of these unbelievable advancements. Technology, education, medicine, comfort, disposable income. And we'd like to talk about the good old days, but these are pretty good days. And yet, so many people are discontented. So many people find it so hard to stay happy and contented. You know, we, we hear talk, talk about everybody's looking for the bluebird of happiness. I heard someone say everyone's looking for the bluebird of happiness, but it's that pesky little pigeon of discontent that gets in the way. You know, it's hard to remain contented. And that's a problem. We're not contented with who we are and what we have and what we're doing. It's a problem. Ironically, when it comes to church, it seems like we're very contented with who we are and what we have and where we're going. And that can be a problem as well. We are uh, spending a few weeks talking about this idea of following Jesus. And I mentioned when I started this sermon series that there are a lot of people who claim to be Christians who really just like Jesus. But when Jesus called for people to follow him, he wasn't asking people just to like him. He was calling people to be like him. He called us to follow where he goes and to do what he does. So when we're here, we want to be like Jesus. But more importantly, when we're out there, we want to be like Jesus. Because it's not just enough to be sharing good information, right? Good information is good, 
But it's more than just good information. Jesus is leading us to transformation. You see that the title of my sermon this morning is Following Together. We have spent months here at Bay Area talking about a 242 focus. Talking about we, we want to have that commitment to be a 242 church. Of course, pulling that from Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Those things that those first followers of Jesus were devoted to. And I'm not going to let you forget that commitment. Okay? I'm not going to let us forget that focus that we have. I'm going to keep bringing it up. And I'm bringing it up again today. I want to talk about that focus. But I want to do it in the context of following Jesus. It's like the wife who told her husband, you need to do more chores around the house. He said, could you please change the subject? And she said, okay, more chores around the house you need to do. (laughs) I'm not changing the subject this morning, but I am coming at it from a little bit different direction. Because our 242 focus isn't just about being together. And that's a big part of it, but it's not just about being together. If we just wanted to be together with people, you know, join a gym, join a book club. But it's more than that. We're, we're trying to help each other be followers of Jesus. So this morning, I want to share with you two observations. And then I want to ask you a, a couple questions as well. And here's one reason why this 242 focus matters. And it's kind of obvious, but, but I think it's important. Following is relational. When Jesus said, follow me, he wasn't recruiting a bunch of lone rangers. He he was building a platoon. He didn't say, I'm going to build a bunch of Christians. What he said was, I'm going to build my church. Jesus made it very clear, following him is a team sport. In fact, I can't find any time in Scripture where Jesus gave any person specific individual discipling instructions. Yes, he did talk to people in private. He talked to the woman at the well. He talked to Nicodemus. But once you become a follower, you join a team. In fact, I can't find any place in Scripture where Jesus sends a specific person on a personal assignment alone. Following Jesus demands fellowship with other followers. If we're going to do life with Jesus, we've got to do life like Jesus. And Jesus understood how important it was to surround himself with community. Think about it. Who in the history of mankind would be better off or would be able to say, you know, all I need is the Father besides Jesus? if, If anybody could say, all I need is God, it would be Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus himself said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And yet, he understands just how important it is to surround himself with people who have the same mission. You know, I wonder how Jesus would respond to what you hear so much today, the, the spiritual platform of Jesus, yes, the church, no. Now, that, that sounds really forward-thinking, doesn't it? It sounds very uh, zen Because I'm a preacher, maybe you do as well, but I get tons, tons of emails. I read tons of blogs, information. I listen to podcasts, and this idea keeps coming up over and over again. 
Jesus, yes. The church, no. I had to step away from church to really get spiritual. You ever hear someone say that? You know, I had to, I had to get away from organized religion to really find Jesus. Here's the problem with that. Jesus didn't come to promote spirituality. Now, we're created as spiritual people, spiritual individuals. He didn't come to promote spirituality. He came to build a society that he called the kingdom of God. He also calls it the church. If we're going to imitate Jesus, if we're going to follow Jesus, we can't isolate ourselves from other people and then brag about how close me and Jesus are. Jesus understands the importance of community. John says this, 1 John chapter 3, this is the message you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. In other words, the moment you became a Christian, this is the message you heard. You're going to have to do life with other people, and some of them aren't going to be easy to love. But you're going to have to go there anyway. If we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to have to do it in fellowship with other followers. Second observation. Following Jesus has got to be intentional. We've got to be intentional about following Jesus. Listen, there's no one way to build community. You can build community in a lot of different ways. But I don't think there's any other way to be with Jesus and like Jesus than to do it in community. And that's what some of you are trying to do. You're trying to do it as the Lone Ranger. And you might be thinking, well, it just hasn't happened for me yet. You know, at some point it's just going to happen, and then I'll enjoy it. It's not going to just happen. You're going to have to do something. You're going to have to be a little bit proactive. You're going to have to be intentional. You know, you don't stumble in the community. Unity is intentional. It doesn't just happen. Community, it's intentional. It doesn't just happen. It involves a, a commitment. So here we go. Back to our verse. Back to where we kind of keep landing. The very first thing that those first followers of Jesus, the things that they talked about being devoted to, the four areas that they said, this is who we're going to be, this is what we're going to be, this is what we're going to be devoted to. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the Word of God. We know how important that is. To the fellowship to the breaking of bread, to prayer. We know how vital prayer is. We can't survive without prayer. It's interesting to me. We think that two of those things are non-negotiables. And we see the other two as optional. Spending time in the Word, spending time in prayer, absolutely non-negotiable for a follower of Jesus. Fellowship, hospitality, we see that as optional. They didn't. The message words that verse this way. They committed themselves to the life together. Because we all know we can be at church and not really be in church. We all know that just because we're gathered with a lot of people doesn't mean that we have fellowship, that's a Bible word, community with the people that we're gathered with. You know, there's a lot of things that you can do in a church setting and not find community. 
You can sit in the same pew week after week after week and not have any community. You can attend a Bible class every single week and not find community. You can be involved in a life group and not find community. And those are all great things. Those are things that we encourage. We want you to do all of those things. Actually, you can sit wherever you want, but you know, we want you to be here in worship. We want you to be in a Bible class. We want you to be in a life group. But those things in and of themselves aren't going to guarantee that you're going to find community. You've got to be intentional about that. It's an intentional, committed connection, a decision. So, where are you right now when it comes to community? Where are you when it comes to Acts 2.42? Let's bring it down and, and make it a little bit personal. Hopefully not too uncomfortable. But where am I in this thing? I told you I wanted to ask a couple questions. Sort of to answer that question. And here's my first question. Am I caring for anyone? And I wasn't sure what word to use there. Not serving, loving. But I came on caring. Am I caring for anyone? Is there someone that I'm caring for? Because most of what we call fellowship really doesn't go much past the handshake and a smile, right? Who am I caring for? I've told you many times that I grew up on a farm in western Pennsylvania. The farm that I grew up on, at least, we did everything ourselves. We never called anybody to do anything for us. You know, if something needed built, we built it. If something broke, we fixed it. If something needed repaired, well, we repaired it. We just kind of did it all. We had a lot of machinery on the farm, harvesters and combines and you know, hay balers. And when they broke, when something needed to be done, we did it. And I remember specifically a time, and Randy will remember this, we had a sprayer, a big green sprayer. I think it was an Oliver sprayer. And every year or so, the booms on that sprayer had to be taken off and cleaned out. And until I was, I think, in college... I was the only one small enough to fit through the hole in top to get inside the sprayer because the mountings were on the inside with the nuts that had to be taken off were on the inside. Maybe I was the only one dumb enough to crawl in there. I don't know. But it was always my job to crawl inside there and my father would stand at the top of the hole on top of the sprayer holding a flashlight. And the problem was once you got in there with a, with a wrench... I had to lay on my back. There's all this stuff in there. I had to lay on my back, and I'm kind of upside down, reaching behind. There's a cowl that comes down over the, the mounting. And so I'm reaching behind, and I get the, the wrench on, you know, on, and Dad's like, loosen it. And I'm pushing, and he's, just loosen it. I'm trying to, I'm standing on my, I'm trying to loosen it. And he's up on top going, righty-tighty, lefty-loosey. <laughs> I know that. I'm going the right way. It won't loosen. You're tightening it. I am not tightening it. So then I, you know, just try it the other way, and sure enough, you know, it comes right off. And I crawl out of that thing, and he said something like, I just said, loosen it. And I'm like, why don't you get down there, and you just loosen it. Now, I never said that. But he would make me so mad. It would happen all kinds of things. Just loosen it. I'm trying. Or just tighten it. I'm going the right way. There's a word in the New Testament 
that's used over a hundred times. And it is translated into English as the word encourage. But it's really not a strong enough translation. The Greek word literally means to come alongside of. Interestingly, it's the same word that Jesus uses when he talks about the Holy Spirit. So when you encourage someone, you are actually partnering with the Holy Spirit to come alongside someone and help them to follow Jesus. Now, I mentioned last week that Jesus never said anything about social distancing when it comes to the kingdom. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. Don't think only about your own affairs, but be interested in others too and what they're doing. We all agree we need to love people, right? We need to love each other, right? We can all shake your head, yes. We all agree on that. In fact, we'll agree we need to love everyone. So who specifically are you loving? Who specifically are you caring for right now? Who are you encouraging right now? Who are you coming alongside? By the way, that's not a rhetorical question, okay? There there should be some names pop into your head. Who am I caring for? All those one another passages in the New Testament, who's your one another? When you came to Christ... When you were baptized, you were empowered by the Holy Spirit to encourage someone to come alongside someone, to care for someone, and help them follow Jesus. Who's your someone? Galatians chapter 6, share each other's troubles and problems. And in this way, when you do that, obey the law of Christ. And he goes on to say, if you think you're too important to help someone in need, you are only fooling yourself. You're really a nobody. Not sure I can make that any more plain. And you might be sitting there right now thinking, well, I've got to get my own life figured out first. I can't really care for someone else till I get my stuff taken care of. If that's what you're thinking, you're thinking backwards. You want to get your life headed in the right direction? Show love towards someone else. Help someone else. Invest in someone else. See what happens to your life when you start thinking about others' affairs and be interested in those. That's why John says, if we can't love people that we can see, how are we going to love God who we can't see? So, who are you investing in? Who are you caring for? And here's my second question. Who are you sharing with? Am I sharing with anyone? You know, you really can't call it community if you're unable or if you're unwilling to share with people. And listen, I get it. I'm an introvert, okay? I understand how difficult this is. And I understand there's, there's contexts that sometimes it's not safe to, to share some things. But even when it's difficult, if we're going to live in community, we have got to be open with each other. We've got to be sharing with each other. I was a youth minister right here at Bay Area for 11 years. As a youth minister, (laughs) I knew so much more about the families that worshipped here than I do now as a preacher. You know why? 
because your kids told me everything that went on in your house. I mean, they're completely open and honest, right? I think it was, I think it was Don who put a meme up there. There's no secret, no family secrets when the, when the children's minister asks for prayer requests. And I think Angie will amen that, right? I mean, kids are like, hey, here's what's going on in my house. Oh, oh really? Okay. But somehow, as we get older, we don't like to share with people. We don't like to tell people things. Now, you, you've heard me say before, one of my favorite passages, one of my favorite sentences in the Old Testament is where it says that Jonathan strengthened David in the Lord. Now, Jonathan and David are these great friends. And Scripture says that Jonathan strengthened David in the Lord. If you've got someone in your life who will strengthen you in the Lord, that is a powerful thing. If there is someone that you can strengthen in the Lord, that is a powerful thing. Remember, Jesus came to build something brand new. Out there, it's all about achievement. You know, out there, everybody's keeping score. Who's winning and who's losing? In here, it's got to be a place of grace. Because we're all broken. You know, we're all flawed. That's why we can share with each other. None of us have it figured out. None of us don't need grace. We need to bring our struggles and share those with each other. But we also need to be sharing our victories. Now, one of the most encouraging things for me, one of the things that kind of keeps me going, is when I hear how real God is in your life. And I know that what I'm saying this morning is not natural. It doesn't come naturally, okay? Not natural. It's supernatural. I get that. The flesh is always selfish. The flesh is always self-protecting. But you should know that when you signed up to follow Jesus, you signed up for a supernatural life. God is going to help you to overcome the flesh. That's why Paul would write in Romans 5, For we know how dearly God loves us because He's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. The way we treat each other shows the world who it is we follow. Jesus said in John 13, your strong love for each other will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Jesus said, you want the world to be able to know who it is you're following? They'll see who it is you're loving and how you love. Listen, doctrine is important. Okay, we'll all agree. Doctrine is critical. But the world doesn't respond to doctrine. Not to start with. They, they don't even respond to moral holiness because there's no moral standard anymore for the world. But Jesus says there's one thing that you can leverage. There's one thing that people are going to pay attention to. There's one thing that people are going to notice. And that's how you love each other. They'll see that. They'll connect with that because everybody loves a love story. There is this universal longing to be a part of something. Everybody has it in their DNA to want to connect with something and someone. 
there's this universal longing to love and to be loved. So Jesus told his followers, you go out and do that. You love people. And when you do, they will know that you're following me. So, there are a lot of ways that you can respond to a message like this. Some of you need to get involved in a 242 group. You need to tie in with a Bible study group. You need to tie in with a prayer group. Get involved in hospitality. Get involved in some activity, 242 happenings. Some of you need to text someone this afternoon and say, I'm sorry. Some of you need to invite that person out to lunch that you sort of know but don't know very well. Some of you need to stop sitting on the sidelines and get involved in this church. Some of you who are watching online, you need to be here next week and worship with us in person. Some of you might need to confess Jesus as your Lord and be baptized into Christ this morning. Some of you might need to decide, who am I going to share with? Who am I going to care for? Some of you might have a prayer request or a concern that you want to share with the body. I don't know. But all of us, all of us, we need to quit putting it off. We need to quit pushing it aside. We need to quit messing around and start following Jesus. Let's go ahead and be standing, and we'll sing.